never wanted to be in a fancy metropolitan broadcast facility where the most thought-provoking thing within view is an occasional four-car pileup on the freeway below. We like being miles from nowhere, in the middle of a vineyard that cannot be seen from the little two-lane road on the other side of that rise. Our barn has awesome acoustics and was built with hand tools over a hundred years ago. Nonetheless, we've got some really state-of-the-art broadcast technology inside. And our wine cellar wants a root cellar that is absolutely packed with wine we've collected or been given by friends. Welcome. You have just set foot on Grape Encounters Radio Property, where we don't believe in no trespassing signs. But let's make this our little secret. Oh, and that wine is protected by the sweetest-looking golden retriever who dated a Doberman for a while, so don't get any ideas. me some ice skin me a peach save the fuzz for my pillow and it is time for your weekly grape encounter and we are just about ready for my favorite holiday of the year it's my favorite eating holiday it is not necessarily my favorite holiday but what i love about thanksgiving is the idea that there are no gifts We don't have to go out and buy a bunch of junk unless you consider a turkey and cranberries and mashed potatoes and all the stuff that makes stuffing junk. Then I concede we buy a lot of junk. We'll call it junk food because not very much of it is very healthy. And I'm going to get into that in just a second because we have very different kinds of people in the Wilson family and they all have a different idea about what is acceptable to eat for Thanksgiving. It is the cause of many fights between me and my two older brothers, but I have a radio show and they don't, so I can diss them on the radio. But Thanksgiving is something I love to talk about. And one of the things that I've always loved to talk about in the past are my recipes for Thanksgiving and how I think Thanksgiving should come down. And by the way, uh, as most of you know, we have a brick and mortar version of Grape Encounters. I like to call it the Grape Encounters Clubhouse. And there are people that come in and out every day, listeners to the show and longtime supporters of what we're doing in the wine business, the whole unpretentious thing that we do, I hope, very well. And I have a fellow that I just dragged over from the wine bar to the studio, which is adjacent to the wine bar. So by the way, when you hear the introduction to the show and we say, we're coming to you from a wine cellar on the central coast of California, that is more true than you actually realize because there's a whole lot of wine just one wall away from where I am right now. We're going to introduce that guest in a minute, but I'm going to start out by talking about food, not wine, because I want to get the food thing down first. Because this is one case where I think the meal drives the wine, not the other way around. In my world, because I am exposed to so many great wines, I often like to think the wine drives the meal because if you get this great, you know, $80, $100, heaven forbid, $200 bottle of wine and you want to pair it with something, by all means, let the wine drive the food and build the meal around that bottle. But for Thanksgiving, it's a different story. Why? Very simply because I am very conventional when it comes to Thanksgiving. I am all about tradition and I don't like the money. Monkey with the Thanksgiving menu. Now, having said that, there's this thing that goes on in America 
around Thanksgiving time. And you know what I'm talking about. This is what I call the stuffing war. And that's where everybody brags about how their stuffing or their mother's stuffing is the best stuffing. And there are a lot of different ways to make stuffing. Those of you who stick rice in your turkey, heaven forbid, that is not stuffing. That is just trying to be healthy for Thanksgiving and for goodness sakes, you know, give it up on Thanksgiving. Be a glutton on Thanksgiving. Go to the wall. Go the distance. Don't try to make turkey out of tofu. If you want to eat something else, that's great. But you should go sit at the little kid's table and not with the adults because the adults are going to be eating that conventional, traditional Thanksgiving meal. And I will support that till my death. I think we ought to do it right now. But when it gets down to stuffing, to me, the stuffing is the central focus of your Thanksgiving meal. It is not the turkey. Now, I'm going to teach you how to make a hellaciously good turkey, but I'm also going to tell you how I make stuffing. And I think my stuffing recipe is a lot closer to what maybe was on the pilgrim's table. I can't be sure about that. I wasn't there, but I know that they would have liked my stuffing best, all the same. So uh, let's start by a, a little bit of family antidote here. And yes, I'm going to talk about wine, but we got to get the food down first, okay? Uh, I've got an older brother. His name is Bob. And we used to call him Blubberbutt Bob when he was a kid because he was a fat little kid. I became the fat little adult. And he gave up being a fat little kid at 18 years old. He's eaten healthy his whole life. He won't eat anything but whole grain pastas. He won't put butter on his toast. He won't splurge in any way, shape, or form. He's not going to put gravy on his mashed potatoes, and he's probably not going to eat mashed potatoes that have cream and butter in them. What, you say? That's a, it seems unthinkable, but that's what he does. And when Thanksgiving comes around, I try to be the first one to arrive at mom and dad's house because whoever gets there first takes command of the kitchen. And I like to take command of the kitchen as quickly as I possibly can because if Bob gets his hands on the turkey and the stuffing, we're all dead. There's going to be whole grain stuff in the stuffing and it just wasn't meant to be. I'm going to get letters. I know it. Brother Steve, on the other hand, lives up in wine country also, but not this wine country that I live in. He's in Mendocino County and he's a foodie through and through, goes out and forages for his own mushrooms and loves to cook. He thinks a lot more like I do, but the difference between Steve and I is the fact that Steve really believes he's the best cook on the planet when everybody knows that I am, except for Steve. But we usually can manage to work together. So I'm going to start with the bird here now because it's important. Some of you may brine your bird. Some of you may take your bird and deep fry it. And I have to admit that I've only had deep fried turkey once. I thought it was really good. I don't know how much oil actually goes into the turkey, but it's still not the way that I prefer to make a bird. I don't brine the bird. What I do is I get a garbage bag, a great big thick garbage bag, and I put the turkey in a garbage bag. You're probably going, what in the world? Well, the reason I do that is, is I go out and I buy fresh juices, but special kinds of juices. Uh, I like to call them the pithy juices. There are juices like peach juice and papaya juice and mango juice, basically tropical tasting fruits. I, I don't think anybody would call a peach a tropical fruit, but it does have that kind of same nature as a papaya or a mango. So we take that juice and we buy a, a couple of gallons of it and put the turkey in the garbage bag 24 hours before dinner. We pour the juice in there and then we pull the bag tight around the turkey, as tight as you can get it until the juice starts to come out the opening. And then you very carefully close the opening. 
Why do we do this? Because otherwise you would have to put it in a giant container and buy probably five or six or eight gallons of juice to be able to cover the entire turkey. But by using my plastic bag method, it works really well. Well, those particular kinds of juices tend to break down the meat and make it very tender, very delicious. The juice actually permeates the meat just a little bit, doesn't make it overly sweet, but it has this really nice effect that complements those cranberries that we love so much, right? So it sits for 24 hours. Then we take and we rub olive oil all over the turkey. I love to take butter and melt it, put it in a syringe, inject it under the skin. Then I just rub it with lots of herbs, herbs of your choice. You definitely want the gamey spices, sage being something that should be at the top of your list, garlic, a must. We always tell my mother there's no garlic that goes into any of the preparation of the Thanksgiving meal because she doesn't like garlic, which is really screwed up because she's 100% Italian. So go figure. So that takes care of the turkey. But as far as the stuffing is concerned, like I said, that is the driver of the meal. And I'm going to talk to you about the stuffing in just a second because it's a little bit complicated, but I'm going to invite you to go get a pen and paper or you can pick up the podcast at grapeencounters.com and pick up the recipe there because it's not all that difficult. But I guarantee you this will be the best stuffing in the world. And it opens up a lot of doors in terms of pairing with wine. And that's why I think it's a very important part of the discussion here. So there we have it. Ten minutes into the show, haven't even talked a little bit about wine. But that's okay because I think Thanksgiving is probably the best wine holiday of them all. There are so many pairing opportunities at the Thanksgiving table and there is no meal that we eat that is more of a conundrum, more of a jumble, more tangled up and crazy than Thanksgiving. There are so many different flavors on the table. They don't complement each other very well. But all the same, it is a magical and perfect meal. And because of that, one of the things that I'm going to be telling you in a moment is that you're going to have more than one wine on the table for Thanksgiving. It's not going to be a one wine meal, at least three wines on the Thanksgiving table. And I know you're going to have to do a lot of dishes, but three glasses per person on the table. Don't go any place except to go get a pen and a piece of paper. Got it? That's your assignment. How hard could that be? We'll be back in just a second after these messages. Grape Encounters is 100% estate grown. We have, however, removed the pretentiousness and added a healthy dose of fun. know that you can visit us in person right in the heart of the central coast wine country of california we can get you a special rate at one of our loveliest hotels introduce you to some epic wines in person help you chart out amazing self-guided winery tours and tell you stories that we're not allowed to share on the radio okay that last one was a, a stretch here's david Back in Crape Encounters Radio and talking about my favorite eating holiday of the year, Thanksgiving is upon us. And I'm always good about giving out my recipes because there is no reason for you people to screw up your Thanksgiving dinner. And wine is so fundamental, I think, to Thanksgiving, I would never even dream of having Thanksgiving dinner without wine. 
But you know how people t- just talk about how bland a turkey is? And I, I gave you my recipe for prepping the turkey. We're going to talk about the stuffing in just a moment. But I have a very special guest in here because he has been with us ever since we opened up the Grape Encounters Emporium. It's the official clubhouse for you Grape Encounterists out there. And, and I do want to tell you that one of the things that I give great thanks for is how many of you come here from all over the country. But if I know you're coming, I'm going to give you a lot of extra love. Hopefully somebody that we've given a lot of love to over the years is a guy who I have watched just learn an incredible amount about wine in the years that he's been coming here. I hope we have been the source of good knowledge His name is Angel, and I want to salute Angel because he's also been in the service for a long, long time, served this country very well and mightily, and he is not from the continental U.S., but he grew up in Guam, but not born in Guam, right, Angel? And welcome, by the way. Thank you, David. Yeah, just to let you know, I was born in the Philippines, and I grew up in Guam. So how long in the Philippines, how long in Guam? I officially immigrated to the United States in 1976, December of 1976, as a matter of fact. Wow. 42 years? I presume I wasn't doing the math, but uh, <laughs> I I'm in denial. You're in denial? Yes. No, you're in California. That is right. So I'm really actually very excited to have you here because you are a foodie and you're a wine junkie for sure. You love your wine. And remember when you first started coming here and you were just kind of really getting into it, I think, at that point in time, weren't you? Both yes and no. I've been trying to find out my palate for wines for the past two years. So if you had noticed during that time, I was always doing wine flights because I don't know what I liked. And then finally, I found something that I liked. And what was that? It was a uh, Pianetta Winery Sangiovese. Yes. So this is interesting because you have favored Italian wines. And I think, you know, French wines really resonate with you as European wines in general resonate with you. So how much of that do you think is because you weren't raised right here on the mainland in the States where you were exposed to, you know, principally California wines? When you're a kid growing up here, you know, even as a kid, you know, mom and dad gave a taste of things and our wines tend to be more fruit forward. The wines from Europe tend to be a lot drier, lower in alcohol. Could that have something to do with your preferences? That is correct. So what was the first wine that you think that you had? Uh, You're actually going to laugh. I Uh, am going to (laughs) laugh. Yes, but it's going to be funny. My first wine that I actually had was Night Train. Oh, yikes. Do you know this? Hey, here is a bit of news for everybody. (laughs) Not Night Train, but Thunderbird. Okay, is actually coming back. It's always been around, but it's coming back in a new form. It's being upgraded (laughs) to a more respectable wine. I just read this story. I got to get my hands on a bottle of that. Angel, you, me, a little night train, a little Thunderbird, perhaps? Yes. (laughs) You're drinking Amarone right now. One of my favorite wines. By the way, a recommendation that I often make at Thanksgiving time. Amarone is a great Thanksgiving wine. So when was the first time do you think it was that you had your first American-style Thanksgiving feast? 1994. Oh, you just remember the exact year? Yes. Why 94? I have an affinity for remembering a lot of significant events in my life. 1994, I was stationed in Japan, and my uh, boss at that time invited me to a Thanksgiving dinner at his home. And my concept of turkey has always been dry. It doesn't taste good. 
because of what my family brought on to me. And number two is just the turkey that I had that when I was on the ship. Big, bland, dry, boring meat. Correct. Not correct. I think turkey is one of the most interesting meats. And if you cook a turkey right, I can't think of anything that I like better. I mean, it's so good. But the truth is, is that when you only cook something like turkey once a year, you don't get much practice at it, right? That is right. And I think that's what goes on in this. See, I go out and I'll buy a whole turkey and I'll do that several times during the year. I love turkey or I'll go buy like a breast section. I'm not talking about one of those compressed breasts. And by the way, if you're going to have that for Thanksgiving, shame on you. Those are terrible. They just chop up all the leftover meat and they scrunch it all together and they call it turkey. That is not Thanksgiving, please. That is not. Anyway, do you ever do angel Thanksgiving cooking yourself? No, not me personally. But when I was stationed in Japan on the latter half of my career, we would have turkey, but I will have somebody professionally cook it for us. So this is weird. You're hiring a chef in Japan to make the most American meal of them all. So understand, I was living inside the base. So what I would do, I would pay $25 to get it professionally cooked at the officer's club. They did that kind of service for a lot of people in Japan. Well, why didn't they just at the base just do a great big Thanksgiving meal? They also had that, but for the people that didn't want to partake in that big celebration and they wanted a more private celebration... Those were your options. How many years did you spend in the service? 23 years. 23 years and you barely look 23 years old. Okay. A lot of Thanksgiving meals while overseas? Yes. Were a lot of those good meals or were they terrible meals? I mean, how would you rate those meals? And was there an effort made to try to, you know, make it as memorable for people as possible, or I should say reminiscent of what they had at home? That's a very good question. I've always, from my perspective and all the ships that I served on board, they always tried to make it a very memorable meal for everybody. They always tried to give it a 100% effort. And I think they do a bang up job trying to provide those Thanksgiving meals for for me, for the sailors that was serving on board the ships, and uh, especially when we are deployed. Very cool. I am glad to hear that. Hey, my guest is Angel. He just goes by Angel. He's like a prince. He's just Angel. And Angel's been coming uh, and hanging out with us for years now. And he has got quite the palate, I'll tell you. And he knows what he wants in wine. I'm going to let him stay with me here because I'm going to throw some wines out there that I think Angel's going to maybe cringe at for Thanksgiving possibilities. But we'll see what happens. Angel, you want to hear my stuffing recipe when we come back? Sure thing. Are you going to take notes? Yes. Okay. (laughs) All right. We'll be back. And uh, we're going to stuff your head full of knowledge as we talk turkey here on Grape Encounters as we approach in just a matter of days the Thanksgiving holiday. And I'm glad to have with me our dear friend, Angel. Um, He's not a wine guy, but he's the ultimate wine guy in that he drinks a lot of wine, but only drinks what he likes. And I'm not trying to make you out to be an overindulger angel. All right. No, I don't take it that way. All right. Stick. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll refill your glass, but you're going to have to stick with me. And we'll talk more turkey in just a moment right here on Grape Encounters Radio. And uh, like I said, we're going to talk stuffing and then we're going to you know, move into wine pairing after that. And so it'll be lots of fun. And your Thanksgiving is going to be all that much better for having listened today. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue. Don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. 
And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. All right, back with Grape Encounters Radio, and this is where Thanksgiving gets really, really interesting. If you don't get this part right, then, you know, it's all for naught. I'm going to jump into the stuffing part of our discussion. I know, you're going, hey, David, you're halfway through the show. You're not even talking about wine yet. Yes, I'm about to, because there is a lot of wine that's going to go into the stuffing. And I will tell you, I probably spent the better part of 20 years trying to figure out what was the best wine to go into the stuffing. I have poured everything in there, but here is what you need to know. You're going to be using wine to cook with and adding it to a lot of the things that are going into your Thanksgiving meal. You might add it to the salad dressing. You most certainly, if you're like me, will add some to the gravy. Wine is an essential part of the stuffing, if you ask me, but here is the number one rule. And I've got my... I'm going to call you my cub guest co-host. Are you having fun, by the way? Of course. You are? Okay. So um, this is the most important rule when it comes to wine and cooking. Angel, I'll tell you what. Free glass of wine for you if you can tell me the number one no-no when it comes to wine and cooking. The number one no-no. The number one no-no. I guess don't get drunk while you're cooking. Well, (laughs) I guess I could have expected that. Angel, you know better than that. Have reverence for the beloved grape, okay? No, what you don't do when you cook with wine is you don't cook with the wine that you weren't willing to drink because it was bad. It turned. It was terrible. uh, You couldn't drink it. And I'm going to tell you right now, 80% of you folks out there, have got some bottles that you've set aside that you're planning on dumping into your Thanksgiving meal. Stop! Don't do it! If you're not willing to drink it, don't cook with it. Do you ever do that, Angel? Do you ever cook with bad wine? Have uh, I taught you something here? Uh, you've taught me a lot of things. Well, I'm talking about gonna... on this particular point. Yes. Okay, thank you. You know what? As fastidious as you are, because you're a buttoned-up guy, but I still think you would take a bottle of wine that you weren't really willing to drink and maybe add it to the food. Have I got you mischaracterized here? Well, Chef Ramsay said put it on beef bourguignon. <laughs> yeah, I don't see Chef Ramsay around here anywhere. <laughs> Chef Ramsay, call me. I'll take you to task on that one. No, no, bad wine should not go into your food. But that being said, expensive wine doesn't need to go into your food either. That's not necessary. For cooking purposes, you can go buy the bottom shelf wines that are, you know, two, three, four dollars. As long as they're not turned, you know, they're perfectly fine for cooking. Now, if you really want to put a great bottle of wine into your food, why not? You know, if you can afford it, do it. So on to the stuffing recipe. Angel, you you didn't even bring a pen and paper here. All right. Okay. I can record it. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's what I do with stuffing. Don't go out and buy pre-made stuffing mix. Just don't do that. What you, you want to do is go out and buy some really nice quality bread. I'm talking white bread. And by the way, here you can add some whole wheat bread as well. The idea that you're going to put stale bread in your stuffing is a terrible thought to me because stale tastes stale and your stuffing's going to taste stale. You want the freshest bread that you can get. So you can chop it up. I usually just tear it up with my hands because it's therapeutic for me. Then I usually go out and I'll buy some pre-mixed cornbread mix. I like the Marie Callender's. It's really, really good. 
and uh, I'll just get that and I'll, I'll bake up some fresh cornbread. Sometimes your, your bakery will have some fresh baked cornbread, but anyway, you get some cornbread and then you break that up as well after it's cooked and uh, you put it in an oven at about 200 degrees and just let that and the other bread dry out. It does not have to get crunchy dry. That is a mistake. In the meantime, what I'm doing is I'm sauteing garlic, onions, and mushrooms. By the way, don't saute your garlic and your onions with your mushrooms. That's a bad mistake. Creates too much liquid. Don't want to do that. Saute them in olive oil. You know, once you've, you've got them cooked a bit, I, I like to add some butter. But the other thing that I do is I am now taking sausage and a mixture of sausage. I like pork sausage. I'll even add a little bit of turkey sausage in there so it's not as greasy. You can even add to it some spicy Italian sausage. And you break it up and and you scramble it up like you were going to make sloppy joes, basically, or taco filling. But you you do it with sausage. Sausage is important. I think it's great. The other thing that you want to do is you want to chop up the giblets that were in your turkey. Don't throw those away. Those really add flavor. Don't go overboard with the liver, though, because if you don't like liver, then you're going to not like putting too much liver in the stuffing. Also, I, I add to that celery chopped up really fine. I always add oysters. And you're looking at me, Angel. You like oysters? Oh, yes. Yeah, oysters. Just go get some shucked oysters. They, they sell them in a jar and chop them up fine and put them in there. You no, know, you're not going to taste the oysters. And I'll tell you, I'll even go so far as to say chopping up a can of anchovies and putting it in there and getting that saltiness in there is really good. Oh, I forgot to mention, once you've cooked up the sausage, now we add the wine to it. Okay, we want to cook the wine down a little bit. About a half a bottle of wine goes into the sausage. We're going to cook it down a little bit, reduce it about 50%. Then we're going to add all the ingredients together. So all of the onions and garlic and the sausage and the bread and the celery. Uh, I, by the way, will sometimes chop up nuts and put them in there. I happen to prefer macadamia nuts, which is unusual to put in a stuffing, but really good. We often talk about the walnuts from MM Organics. That's really good to put in there as well. Uh, just absolutely delicious. So we mix all this together, and then you can moisten it with chicken broth. You don't want it muddy, but it, you definitely want it moist. Put it in a big bowl, stick it in the refrigerator overnight, let everything meld together in this beautiful mixture. You've got a full bottle of wine in there, by the way, and I didn't tell you the wine, right? Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc is what you want to use. That is absolutely the best. You can use Chardonnay. I've experimented a lot with red wines, but my opinion is the red wines make the stuffing way too dark and a little bit deeper than you want it to be. And so that's what I do. Uh, Anything objectionable there, Angel, to you? I think even the pilgrims would approve. You think they would? Oh, yes. Maybe not necessarily the wine, but uh, I think overall they would love everything that you put in there. Uh, One of the things I should mention here, too, is you cannot put too much butter in this. So two things, okay? Make sure that you have enough bread that if you get things too juicy, you can add bread to dry it up a bit. Like I said, you don't want it muddy, but at the same time, you want to put a ton of butter in there. So you can melt butter and then you pour it in there and and mix that in. I know I'm not giving you a one cup this and two cups that. I'm not a measuring kind of a person. 
you know, this is an opportunity for you to do as Angel suggested and sip a lot of wine while you're tasting and comparing and deciding whether you're getting the right flavors in there. One other thing, and Angel, I know you'll approve of this. I like to put a little cayenne in there or something for a little kick, a little bit of pepper. No? Yes? I would approve. You would approve? Yes. What, how spicy is the food in your native country? So uh, among Asian culture, Filipinos normally don't like spicy food. But growing up in Guam, I had a... The Filipinos don't? Uh, there's a certain region of the Philippines that likes spicy food, but generally... As a uh, collective group, Filipinos don't like spicy food. Yet, you know, Japanese will eat a lot of spice. And in Thailand, I mean, spice is king. You go to China, China's got the Kung Pao, and uh, that's hot, right? Correct. Yeah. So that's strange. So in the Philippines, not so much. No. What about Guam? So Guam is a unique place in the United States because we're 95% Asian Pacific Islanders. So Asian cultures and Pacific Island culture with a lot of spices also. Yeah. Koreans, spicy food. Thai, spicy food. Vietnamese, Filipino, not so much. Japanese, not so much. Have the folks in Guam adopted the Thanksgiving tradition? Of course. They have? Yes. Well, it's not an of course to me. I, I, I don't know. Yes, that okay. is correct. All right. Okay, good. All right. Well, we're talking Thanksgiving, and I brought into the studio with me Angel, has uh, been a uh, longtime fan of the show and of our wine bar, Grape Encounters Emporium, and I thought he would add a little bit of perspective to this since he is from the Philippines and grew up in Guam, but served proudly for 23 years. So um, an opportunity for you to hear from him here on Grape Encounters Radio, where we're going to talk parents when we come back for the home stretch of Grape Encounters Radio. I want to do you a favor. Write down two words or get Siri or Alexa to remember them for you. The words are peak, that's P-E-A-K-E, ranch. Now, over the past 10 years that I've been talking all things wine, my product endorsements have definitely been few and far between. That's because I'm not just a wine journalist. I'm also a wine critic and a wine judge, and I've got a reputation. Not that kind of reputation. Anyway, the wines of Peak Ranch would easily win a gold medal from me in any blind tasting. They're a small boutique label making wines from grapes grown on one of California's most legendary properties. The Pinots, the Chardonnays, and Syrahs are going to absolutely blow your mind. And because Peak Ranch is a new name to most wine enthusiasts. They're priced well below the price they'll likely command as more and more of you see the remarkable scores and reviews they're getting from the world's toughest critics, including myself. Log on to peakranch.com, read their story, and buy a bottle or two or three. Each varietal is a masterpiece. Now, I've never had a single listener ever write me to say that they were not impressed with any recommendation I've made. These wines are huge winners. Get yours online at peakranch.com. That's P-E-A-K-E ranch.com. And now, Grape Encounters with David Wilson continues. I love, love, love Thanksgiving, but the one thing that I hate is going to somebody's house for Thanksgiving and they don't know how to cook a turkey. They have no idea about the stuffing. And worse than that, they do not know how to pair the wines with a Thanksgiving dinner. That is not fun. By the way, if you come over and you're uh, with me as we prepare Thanksgiving dinner, one of the things that you'll notice is that I have a bowl of spoons there. 
might be 20 spoons there. And every time I stick the spoon in to taste something, I put it in a receptacle and it will not be used again because I don't want anybody to feel like they have to deal with my germs. That is so considerate, isn't it, Angel? That is right. That's Angel in the background. Angel is a big time wine lover. I don't know um, how many different wines you've had with me, but it's been a lot. I've had a lot. And I want to take a moment to thank you and all of the people who serve this country because you've given most of your life to this country, even though you weren't born in this country. And I think that is incredibly noble. And that's one of the things that we should all be given thanks for. So thank you, Angel. All right. So let's talk about Thanksgiving pairings. The one wine which is most often considered to be the consummate Thanksgiving wine is the one wine that I like the least, and that is Pinot Noir. But Pinot Noir sales just go through the roof at Thanksgiving because there's rich flavors on the table, there's light flavors on the table, there's sweet flavors on the table, there's dry flavors on the table. When you think about it, you know, if you went out for a steak dinner, You'd have the steak perfectly complemented with the potatoes. You have a salad and, you know, hopefully the dressing is also, you know, complimentary and, you know, whatever side dishes. With Thanksgiving, it's weird because you've got these polar opposites on the table. You have these candied sweet potatoes, which, by the way, I don't touch those. I would actually have those removed from traditional Thanksgiving menus if I could. That's the one thing that I, I just don't love it. But there's the candied sweet potatoes. Cranberries, my favorite thing, but it's got to be real cranberries, not the gelled stuff in the can. And then on the opposite side, you have the white meat of the turkey and even the dark meat of the turkey that is so completely different than, you know, the two things that I just mentioned. And then there's, of course, Aunt Pat's green bean casserole that is made with cream of mushroom soup and green beans. And everybody looks forward to it, but then they quietly admit that they don't really like it. So, so many different flavors on the table, so many different profiles. Pinot Noir seems to be that wine that people think kind of works with everything. I would say this, that first of all, as I said at the beginning, you should probably have three glasses on the table and you can enjoy the lighter wines initially with the lighter foods and then sort of work your way up to the deep gravy and the stuffing and all of that and get into bigger and bolder things. But one thing that has become sort of the new trend in Thanksgiving is bubbly. If you're going to have one wine at the table and just one, I'm going to tell you that bubbly is where it's at. And a lot of people don't realize this, but think about it. Bubbly and stuffing? Absolutely. Bubbly in that white meat turkey? Absolutely. Bubbly along with the cranberries? Absolutely. Bubbly with Aunt Pat's green bean casserole? It works with everything. It is probably the most universal thing. And it's so strange because for most of our lives, bubbly was just for celebration. You toasted with the bubbly and then you moved on to something else. Now people are starting to realize that it is a wine that should be considered a candidate for consumption during the entire meal. Are you shocked, Angel? Yes. Yeah? Yes. You wouldn't have even thought of that. You're right. I would have never thought of it. <laughs> See, what, what people would do is they would have a glass of bubbly before they sit down, and then it's dinner time, and somebody says grace, and then we break out the red wine, and it's probably going to be a pinot. Now, a lot of people will drink Chardonnay with uh, the Thanksgiving meal, but here's some things I want to suggest. Okay, first of all, if you can drink bubbly, you can also drink Rieslings. Rieslings from Washington, California, New York, even Germany are great. A great Thanksgiving wine. 
when you take your fork and you grab some stuffing and then you put a little cranberry on it, you dredge it into the mashed potatoes and gravy, and then you find some way to stick some turkey on that same bite. You're making the perfect bite. Perfect wine, Zinfandel. Get yourself a California Zinfandel. It works so incredibly well. I absolutely love it. You can certainly do Cabernet Sauvignon. It's going to be a better wine for the dark meat eaters than the light meat eaters if you like the stuffing. The stuffing that I described earlier is very rich. A big wine like Cabernet will stand up to that, but a little lighter would be something like Zinfandel. But one thing to definitely keep in mind, it's a great option for Thanksgiving. Grenache Syrah Mouvedre blends. We call them GSMs. In some parts of the country, they're just becoming familiar to people. But in California and places that are really familiar with Rhone wines, like in the Rhone part of France, GSMs are very well known and they are very delicious and they're absolutely perfect. In fact, I don't think if you like cranberries, nothing pairs with cranberries, in my opinion, better than Grenache and Syrah. Uh, they're both fantastic. And they're brother and sister wines, or maybe they're brother and brother wines. Another thing, if you can drink Chardonnay with the meal, you can also have white burgundy. And that's terrific. Other things that you can try, if you've got some Beaujolais Nouveau, which is actually, you know, the wine that is not aged that comes out in late November that's really nice for Thanksgiving. Petite Syrah is terrific. From Austria, Gruner Veltliner, Gewürztraminer from Germany, Rosés of Cabernet or Merlot, very good. And then uh, if you're out in the Midwest, Norton from Missouri, and even in Florida, they make a cranberry wine, which is pretty terrific. So what are the three wines that I'm going to have on the table for you? I'm going to have, let's see, I'm going with the champagne for sure, bubbly, doesn't have to be champagne, could be cava, it could be Prosecco. So I'm going to do that. I am going to probably do a rosé of Merlot on the table. It's going to be really delicious. So we're working our way up to something that's a little bit substantial than the champagne. And then I'm going to have the Zinfandel there. And that's what's going to be on my Thanksgiving table. That's for this year. It might change next year, but uh, that's what I recommend uh, for you to, to consider. Those are some fun wines, but I've given you a lot of choices. Again, you know, don't overlook the GSM. That's the Grenache Syrah Mouvedre. That might actually be as perfect a wine to serve as any. And if you don't like Zinfandel, that's what I would go to. But you've got this real jumble of flavors on the table. So you want to have some wines that can do double duty, triple duty, that are going to pair nicely with a lot of different things. And I've just given you all the secrets. Oh my gosh, I gave away my, my turkey prep secret. I gave away my recipe for the stuffing, and now I've given you my my pairing suggestions. doesn't get any better than that. And Angel, thanks for joining me. Thanks for sitting in. Thank you too there, Dave. i got to do this more often with our friends. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters this week, and I will see you back here next week at exactly the same time on exactly the same station. Your Grape Encounter isn't over. We're just taking a breather until next week's edition.